Welcome to the Montana Middle, your podcast for Montana politics. I'm your host, Dan West. Joining me for this episode is Democratic House candidate Grant Keir. Grant hails from Missoula and was most recently the director of the Five Valleys Land Trust. I really enjoyed speaking with him, and I think you'll enjoy the interview too. Before getting to that, a word about our sponsor, the Montana Mint, and the DC Update. In its quest to bring the best of Montana to the internet, the Montana Mint supports this podcast. Together, we are striving to make Montana politics more accessible for all Montanans. To keep up with interesting Montana news, check out the Montana Mint at www.montana-mint.com and subscribe to their newsletters about Montana sports and politics. And also check out their Montana sports podcast called Montana Mint Sports. Here's the DC update. Congress has been in recess for the past two weeks, so it's been kind of slow in D.C. Montana Senators John Tester and Steve Daines, as well as Montana Congressman Greg Gianforte, have been back in the state traveling around meeting with various constituents. While Montana's congressional delegation came back from D.C. to spend time in Montana, Montana's Attorney General Tim Fox went to D.C. to file a brief with the United States Supreme Court opposing online sales taxes. Another notable announcement is that Missoula's city bus, the Mountain Line, received a $2.7 million federal grant from the U.S. Federal Transit Administration to purchase some new electric buses. Missoula city officials thanked both Tester and Danes for their help in pushing the grant through. It's a nice example of how both senators worked together to get some federal grant money back to the state. That's it for the D.C. Update. Now here's my conversation with Grant Keir. Sound levels look good. Okay, Grant, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate the invitation, Dan. Excited to be here. Me too. Well, let's just get started. So what's your backstory? Where did you grow up and what was your professional background before you started running for Congress? Yeah, so um, I, was, uh, I was born in Kansas and not long after I was born, uh, my dad left my mom and uh, she had always wanted to um, spend her life in the Rockies. So she moved to Colorado to raise my older brother and I on her and she did so uh, as a nurse, uh, working a full-time job. Uh, I was grown up in the Rockies for uh, pretty much all of my life in Colorado, um, up through college. Um, my brother and I and my mom really enjoyed um, getting outside. That was really how I spent a lot of my time growing up. Um, my mom didn't have a lot of wealth and really struggled to keep things together in our house and oftentimes was really struggling with whether or not she could pay rent or put food on the table. Um, but she really always found peace, I think, out in public lands and out in quiet open spaces. Um, and the fact that those places were free and available to us just meant that um, not only did they mean a lot to her, but no matter um, if she didn't have any money in her pocket, she could still get us out to a trailhead and uh, find a way to get us outside. So really grew up um, out on the trail and uh, in the woods and uh, hunting and fishing and really enjoying 
the outdoors that I think so many of us in the West really appreciate. And uh, I think that really shaped those experiences of growing up really shaped um, what I valued in my life and, uh, and a lot of, I think, why I'm even running for this office. But um, when I got to college, uh, I started out studying uh, philosophy, sociology, and geology, and ended up um, being offered an opportunity to go to graduate school and study geology and, and geophysics. Um, I, I came out of uh, a graduate program with a little bit of student debt, and uh, I had studied uh, earthquake risk assessment and, um, and sort of seismic hazards to some extent in the California area as part of my thesis. And I'd really had my sights set on going to do that work for the USGS. And shortly after I graduated, or actually just uh, weeks before I graduated, uh, George uh, Bush put a hiring freeze on the federal government and the job that I had kind of been uh, working toward and kind of negotiating in the background just evaporated. And I was newly married to my wife who I had met in graduate school, had student debt and a new mortgage, and was really trying to figure out what I was going to do next and had a chance um, right out of college to go and work actually as a well site geologist on uh, natural gas rigs in uh, Pinedale, Wyoming. And it was, uh, you know, as somebody who'd grown up really committed to the outdoors, uh, who had studied uh, geology and studied right alongside studying how you find oil and gas, studied the effects of and the, uh, the issues that contribute to climate change. Um, it was a kind of a sobering and thoughtful career for me to dive into um, natural gas extraction. Uh, the one sort of like element to that that was really important to me is that at the time Colorado was making a big transition towards wind energy and they needed natural gas to complement that wind energy in order to be successful. So it really seemed like I was part of a movement towards greener forms of energy, but the um, Republican Party moved a long way and from embracing climate change as a real factor in the world. And, uh, and not long after I started, uh, my wife and I kind of picked up and left, um, left the States to head for England. And my wife was working for a university in England, and I got a job working for an engineering company there. Um, really did some fun work um, across Europe and to a lesser extent in North America, um, on behalf of states and countries assessing infrastructure, so testing roads and bridges, testing railway tunnels um, for safety and for integrity and helping these uh, public agencies decide when and how to reinvest in their infrastructure. Hmm. It was really um, informative for me to watch the rest of the world make these really intelligent and wise investments in their future and watch our country just falling further and further behind the rest of the world in terms of the way we were investing in infrastructure and frankly the way we were even planning our communities and, and uh, planning our country. Um, it really just looked like a lot of countries in the world were starting to look at 10-year, 20-year and 50-year time horizons while we in the United States were focusing more and more on sort of the next election cycle and policies that were six months at a time or one year at a time or at most sort of four years at a time. And uh, it was really troubling, but we still believed that um, the states were the, you know, these United States and Montana in particular were the best places in the world to live. And we moved back here in 2005. And this is the place that we felt we really wanted to raise a family where our values were really intact, where 
um, people who grew up like I did had every chance to succeed. And, uh, and so we wanted to come here and, and make this our home. And this is where I found my way into um, conservation work mm-hmm. and working as the executive director of land trusts and really found um, a sweet spot here of using my background in science and my uh, love of the outdoors and, and even some sort of deeper roots in my family background. Uh, uh, my mom was raised on a pretty big farm in Kansas and we'd always gone back to the family farm in Kansas to um, visit family and spend time there hunting. And so in Montana where we as land trusts are working to protect public access to open space um, to really help sportsman groups get access to our uh, rivers and trails and then working right alongside farm and ranch families to expand their businesses and protect really important agricultural soils was uh, it just felt absolutely perfect for my love of working with people and my science background and my desire to sort of protect our natural resources for future generations. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Okay. So you're kind of leading me right into my next question. Yeah. It, It, what made you want to run for this particular seat in this particular election cycle? Yeah, I think, you know, it was the sum of those experiences of, um, I think, growing up without a lot of wealth and in a struggling home and realizing that all of these um, community investments and the things that we invest in together in this country allowed me to succeed. Um, and the combination of that and watching our country fall behind the rest of the world and really seeing uh, this great ability for the public and private sector to work closely together in conservation were huge contributors. But the, the sort of final straw for me um, really came down to, um, I think, seeing, um, seeing opportunities for me to bring the differences I made to people's lives to a bigger scale. And I really have believed all along that um, I can help people by um, showing up and listening to the needs that they have. And and I saw this firsthand um, in my work at Land Trust in the Farm Bill, um, going out into rural communities, figuring out what was working and not working for farm and ranch families, realizing that there were parts of the Farm Bill, for example, in our federal legislation that it just didn't work for Montana, even though the goals of those programs and the resources we had here were just an absolute perfect fit for each other. Mm-hmm. So going out and figuring out what was wrong, trying to figure out how we could change it and making that program work better for Montana so that um, the federal money we were investing collectively was coming into Montana, was making a difference here, helping individual people succeed, but also helping a huge uh, achieve huge public goals in terms of protecting natural resources and river corridors and and, uh, and seeing that work happen and play out and hearing from families that this is the way federal government should work and this is the way we can um, sort of go after making bureaucratic systems work better for individual people gave me the sense that uh, Congress was a place where I could make a difference and I really believe that this is a race I can win. Mm-hmm. And so I'm starting to see a thread here, you know, it's, uh, you spent a lot of time in the outdoors as a young boy and then got your degree in, in education and science, and then you worked in the energy industry and, and it, on infrastructure issues, and then and then eventually in, in land conservation. So you have a lot of experience dealing with all sorts of land use stakeholders. Um, what, what do you think is the path forward on federal land policy? 
Yeah, well, I think um, I think the right path forward is the uh, is embedded in what you just said. I think the right path forward is to make sure all the stakeholders are at the table when we're deciding land use policy and federal public lands policy. Um, I think that we have come so far in the last couple of decades in realizing um, that we we need public private partnerships in order to achieve the best outcomes um, uh, for our natural resources. Look, I, you know, I don't think any of us are so naive to think that we don't need natural resources from, um, from our environment, including our public lands, but we've got to make sure that it is the role of the federal government to protect the public interest when it comes to public lands. And so I think very specifically um, what we need to do is, is make sure that federal public lands stay in federal ownership. And uh, there have been a huge investment from our entire country in those lands, and I think it's important that we respect that investment and we ensure that everybody's interests are being met when we're managing those lands. Uh, I think that it's really important that we, we take those places that we have identified that are acceptable for us to do natural resource extraction, and we do that um, with a real careful mind's eye on what's going on with uh, with the private sector and how are they using those lands and we hold them accountable to meeting the highest possible environmental protection standards. Um, and I think that we on forest policies um, recognize, and we've seen this here even in my work with land trusts, um, we've watched a uh, hundred years of fire suppression result in forest management that is um, that is crippling for us financially and is going to require us bringing all of the parties to the table, um, uh-huh. one community at a time and every sector at a time to make sure that we get a win-win that helps us improve and enhance uh, habitat for wildlife, uh, manage our forests wisely for the natural resources they, that they can produce sustainably, mm-hmm. um, and really set us up better to, um, to be resilient in the face of climate change so that we are honest about what we can um, tolerate in terms of fire suppression versus uh, wildfire um, introduction of fire in terms of a management tool on the landscape. It, well, yeah, and I, I'm sure you could talk all day on land policies, and, and I would love to do that with you, but um, you know, outside of land policy, what other issues do you think are going to be important in the general election? You know, I think that without any question in my mind, um, the issue that comes up most on the campaign trail and the issue that is, um, I think, facing us uh, as a crisis in this country is our health care policy. And it doesn't matter if I'm talking to Democrats or Republicans um, or folks on the far left or the far right. Everybody here agrees that our health care system is broken. And um, in my opinion, um, it's an absolute critical need that we bring stakeholders together and start figuring out a practical process that we can move forward immediately, um, both defending the Affordable Care Act and the gains we've made there, but really finding practical steps that we can take to move forward um, to give everybody access to health care and make sure that it, whether it's the individual or our whole country that's paying for it, that it's at an affordable rate um, at whatever scale we decide is appropriate to be paying for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, healthcare is always the big one. I mean, if you look at the the pie chart of the federal budget, it's always the the largest slices. You know, it's it's amazing how much of our of our budget is dedicated to to healthcare. I um, it, you you know, you mentioned earlier that you you've worked on infrastructure issue, issues in in Europe. 
and you know infrastructure is a big talking point right now i'm i'm not sure if an actual bill is going to pass before the election but since you've worked on that stuff in in other countries would you like to comment on infrastructure issues real quick yeah this is a you know this is something that is a part of my uh campaign um platform and it's certainly something that i'm advocating for i think it's absolutely essential that we are investing in our infrastructure for the next hundred years right now um i think this is something that is really limiting our ability to um capitalize on economic advances in our big cities and also in our rural towns and i can just give you one example of Mm -hmm. a town of phillipsburg montana that um there's so much going for it right now, and it has a really a burgeoning economy. It has really great downtown businesses. It has all these abilities to attract new businesses to town, but it is absolutely crippled by its crumbling infrastructure as well. Mm. And the need for that community to reinvest in water treatment as well as water delivery systems um, so that it can uh, sort of embrace economic development in town and by doing that actually protect the, nas- the really important natural resources that surround that community um, is just one example of a small town that uh, could probably have uh, more young doctors moving into that town to serve its rural hospital if they had hmm. affordable houses that people could build and hook up to their water and sewer system. But this downstream chain that... Um, really gets unraveled when you don't invest in your infrastructure prevents these towns from i think succeeding every day day in and day out and they we just don't have the resources as individual towns to move forward on infrastructure projects and so it's something that we have to invest in as a whole country um, and methodically and carefully so that we are creating a platform on which all of our kids and future generations are going to succeed yeah no, that's a great example i i, I know phillipsburg fairly well i learned how to ski there at discovery and um i don't know if chairlifts qualify as infrastructure too but maybe, uh... <laughs> you know not in my infrastructure package oh, but okay. maybe that's something that uh, <laughs> it could win uh, a few voters <laughs> <laughs> well i heard they're trying to build a road from phillipsburg to the backside of discovery i i don't know if they're they're done with that yeah you know they've been working on that for a few years and i think they're they're uh they're hoping to make uh some real progress this summer and i think they're getting really close well yeah that's that's encouraging um yeah so you know i asked you about the general election but let me back it up a little bit because technically you're still in the primary um you got kind of a competitive field it's well i guess across the nation you're seeing uh, an explosion of people running for office and and we're seeing that in this house race you know what uh, how how has it been interacting with your primary opponents and, and how have you been differentiating yourself from them? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say um, our primary does reflect the sort of national trend, I mm-hmm. think. Um, the interactions have been great. I think that uh, I think without a competitive primary, I would not be the confident candidate that I feel like I am right now, um, feeling good about winning the primary and being ready to go on and face Greg Gianforte in the general election. Um, I think it's really important for members of our party to have choices, and I think it's great for people to feel like the sort of spectrum of democratic politics is represented right now. You know, in terms of differentiating myself, I think I've really tried to, um, I think I differentiate myself for the very same reasons in some ways we talked about me running. I think as a scientist, um, I personally am pretty fed up with uh, politics as usual and a lot of sense that people who are running for office are grabbing sort of soundbite 
responses to really complex issues and suggesting that there are easy answers to some of the most complex issues of our time. Uh, I think it sets people up for um, frustration, even further uh, cynicism over our government. Mm -hmm. And as a scientist, I want to bring evidence-based solutions to problems. And I, I really feel like as a scientist and a pragmatist, my whole career has been about sitting down with people no matter what party they're from, regardless of their beliefs and ideals, and figuring out where our goals overlap and how we can work together to figure out how to achieve that. And there are always barriers in the way. And when you bring everybody together at the table, you really figure out um, some creative ways to overcome those barriers that you'd never think of on your own. And I think, um, I think that's been really important in my career working in rural Montana and has allowed me as a you know, as a Missoulian to, uh, to leave this town that has sort of a stigma of, of being sometimes closed-minded and idealistic in its progressivism. Um, I've been able to leave this town, you know, day yeah. in and day out for more than a decade and go into rural communities and demonstrate to people that I'm going to show up and I'm going to demonstrate respect to them. I'm going to listen to what they're trying to achieve and I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure that I deliver an outcome that benefits them and uh, meets our shared goals. And I don't think uh, I don't think a lot of my uh, opponents in the primary can um, can point to the same background and can speak with the same authority on that ability. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's always the challenge, right? Is to is to you know obviously the the voters are in the population centers, but Montana is largely a rural state, and so having being able to connect with both urban and rural voters is is key. So and I think being really honest about the fact that as Democrats, we are a minority party in the state. Yeah. And, uh, and we don't win here if we, can't, um, if we can't show up and attract a few independent voters and some of those moderate Republicans who I think right now are pretty disgusted by Gianforte in terms of both his, uh, the way that he presents himself as a representative of our state and his unwillingness to sort of show up in communities and listen to what people are really struggling with. <laughs> well, I'm laughing because uh, my next question, maybe it might be a little tricky to answer for you, but it, it's about Greg Gianforte. Um, he's been a congressman for almost a year now, and I'm going to challenge you. Uh, what do you think he's done well? And, and then also, what do you think he's not done well? No, I, 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 look, I'll, um, I'll point at one thing that I'm glad he's done. He, uh, he brought forward a companion bill to John Tester's Yellowstone Gateway um, Protection Act. And yeah, I noticed that too. I am grateful that he did that. Um, I think that I, on that same front, um, I can point to exactly what I think he's doing wrong. And that is, I don't think he really understands what leadership looks like. Um, and I think if he were a real, this is a guy who, um, was clearly a big supporter of Trump and donor in, in Donald Trump's campaign, uh, stood up with the Trump family when he ran for the house here in Montana and his, uh, his best friend from his old company is his, uh, his fellow Senator. And if this is a guy who can't get a bill across the finish line, um, when his party controls both chambers in Congress and the White House, um, uh, I, then I don't think he can get much done ever. And the fact that he hasn't been able to get this bill passed tells me that he's either um, presented it with a bit of cynicism and he's not serious about getting it done, or he just lacks the leadership to pull the people together that he supposedly has relationships with to get it done. 
And um, both of those, I think, uh, disappoint me. But I think the bigger issue to me is um, just his utter failure to understand democratic values. Um, and, um, and I mean that little d. And, uh, and what I mean by that is that when you represent people, um, you do it in service and you can't represent them if you don't listen to them. And you can't, you can't serve in a healthy democracy if you aren't willing to show up in communities that you represent and listen to people. And Montanans for, for a very long time have taken a huge amount of pride in having access to their elected officials. And regardless of whether or not I agree with Greg Gianforte's policies or his positions, um, in my opinion, he's a guy who should show up in my community and give me a chance to tell him that. And he's not doing that for Montanans, and I think um, I think they deserve a lot better. Fair enough. Well, uh, you kind of alluded to this a couple questions ago uh, when you are talking about Democrats being the minority in Montana. Uh, but to beat Mr. Gianforte in November, you'll need to convince some of his supporters to vote for you. And how are you planning to do that? Uh, you know, I've been working with and alongside uh, a lot of folks that I know voted for him for uh, much of my career in Montana. Hmm. And, you know, I take a lot of pride in the fact that I have uh, friends, family members, and colleagues who are Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, and Independents. And I'm not a Democrat who surrounds himself only with people who think uh, like myself. And... Um, I can tell you that those folks are really open-minded right now about somebody who's willing to be respectful, um, really listen to people and try to come up with practical solutions and, um, and show up and uh, give people the sense that they're going to be respected and that their values are going to be represented in Congress. Mm -hmm. And I think I can beat him because I plan to, uh, I plan to deliver the same way I have in my career um, and really meet with those folks win over those voters um, in the same way that I have in the past in my career and make sure that those people know that I am in this because I want to serve, because I want to help people succeed. And I think there's a lot of work we can do in Congress to make uh, our government work better for everyday people. And, you know, just to build off that, you mentioned Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Independents, but I think the recent headlines in, in the Montana political scene has been the Green Party. And you, you started this interview using words like the outdoors and the environment and climate change. And so I'm wondering, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the Green Party in Montana and, and what, what's your message to Green Party voters? Well, uh, you know, I guess my message to Green Party voters, first and foremost, is just recognizing the chaos we're in with this primary and the way that I think Republicans have hijacked the, um, the Green Party in Montana in this election cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's really frustrating and disappointing, and I think it's a complete affront to what I think third party, you know, really genuine third party candidates and voters are looking for. Um, so I think that's really disappointing. But in terms of my credentials, I guess I would just say that I've spent, um, I spent my entire life caring deeply about, uh, the way we leave this earth for future generations. And, um, and I am, you know, very proud that in my campaign, I am approaching this as a scientist. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I'm the first candidate who has come out and said that, climate change is real, climate change is human caused, and it's the, uh, one of the big issues of our time that we've got to deal with. Um, and I think that uh, as a Democrat, I'm happy to say that I believe uh, 
Greg Gianforte and Donald Trump's failure to deal with climate change poses one of the biggest threats to jobs and economic sustainability in our state, and that we have a huge chance to lead not only as Montana, but I think lead um, lead our country in Montana on being prepared for and embracing the ways that we both um, um, mitigate and um, prepare for climate change. And I think that uh, Green Party candidates could be really confident that I'll be somebody that they can believe in in office. Um, and uh, and I hope that they'll take a look at me as a candidate. <laughs> nice. Well, the and the primary election is coming up fast, less than two months. It's uh, June 5th, right? That's right, June yeah. 5th. It's okay. right around the corner. Where has your campaign been so far? I mean, you know, what maybe what's a major highlight? And and then where do you plan to focus your campaign between now and then? Yeah, so um, honestly, I just feel like I think it's true probably of all of us as candidates in this primary. None of us has statewide name recognition. And I have known for a fact that um, there's a, a big stigma trying to run a statewide campaign as somebody coming out of Missoula. So I've really... Um, I love my community and I love where we live, but it has been a pleasure to spend more time out east um, and uh, and to get out past buildings, out into communities um, like uh, Miles City and and visit with voters who I think are really curious about what some Democrat from Missoula is all about. And some of those highlights for me, whether I'm uh, up on the High Line or out east uh, in the south, eastern corners of the state have been people saying, you know, it takes about two minutes of talking to you and hearing from you to know you're not a stereotypical Democrat from Missoula. And, uh, you know, and some of those people have said, I'm a, I'm a Republican and I don't often come to uh, Democratic issues, but uh, I know you've got a background in working with ag communities and I wanted to come and hear what you're about. So I really believe that right now we have an electorate that is pretty open-minded, um, maybe sadly because almost everybody is frustrated and a little disgusted with our political, if not deeply disgusted with our political process and the people they've had choices around in the past. And uh, I'm just honored that people are giving me a shot everywhere I go across the state. And I think that's our plan between now and the primary, frankly, is to stay on the road. Uh, we've covered uh, about 20,000 miles so far. Wow. And I think we're probably going to cover that again here between now and the primary yeah. and um, just making sure that people, I really do believe, and I've been told this everywhere we go, that when all of us as candidates on the Democratic side line up in a room, that um, it's clear to everybody in the place that I'm head and shoulders, the candidate above the rest. And so I think our job is to go everywhere other candidates have been and make sure that we're in the room with every other candidate every chance we have so that people can see why I am uh, a different candidate, why I am a credible candidate, and why I'm the candidate that can beat Gianforte when we get to the general. Well, great. Uh, Grant, thank you so much for your time. It's been, it's been really great chatting with you. Are, are there any final things you'd like to say in the last few minutes here? Um, you know, I think one of the things that we didn't get a chance to touch on that has been a real issue that I've heard a lot on the mm -hmm. campaign trail um, has been partly what inspired me and, and what I hear from voters, and that is that um, I think women in this state, in our country, feel absolutely under attack by the Trump administration. Um, and as a candidate who was raised by a single mom uh, and is married to uh, the smartest human being I know who happens to be a woman, um, and is raising a daughter in the state, um, 
I am absolutely in this because I was disgusted at the way Trump talked about and treated women and got elected. And um, looking very forward to being a champion for issues and equality for women. And uh, and and have heard over and over again that women feel under attack. And uh, I think are grateful to hear and believe that there are uh, men who are now ready to stand up and say this is a fight. Um, for women, but they don't have to do it on their own. And a lot of us, it's time for us to stand up and say this behavior is unacceptable. Um, the way things are done is unacceptable, and we've got to make this uh, a level playing field for everyone. Well, great. What a yeah, what a great closer. So, again, thank you so much, Grant Keir, for coming on the podcast, and uh, I wish you all the best in, in the rest of your primary campaign. As always, it's great to uh, talk to you, Dan, and great uh, great work on your podcast. I'm really happy to see it succeeding, and I wish you the best as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. The last word clip for this episode comes from the Republican Senate debate hosted by the MSU College Republicans a few weeks ago. It's a prayer given by one of the student members of the group before the debate started. Here it is. Please join me and bow your heads in prayer. Almighty Father, we are gathered here this evening as citizens of the greatest country ever known to history. Yet, we humble ourselves in the knowledge that this nation, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, was conceived and continues to endure because of your divine will and benevolence. Lord, we praise you for your never-ending love and compassion for the blessings you have bestowed, and for the freedoms and leadership you have provided. We are grateful to live in this country built for you and by you, a nation created to counter a world filled with oppression and fear. Through many trials and tribulations, you have held our hands and our hearts in the darkness as well as the light. We thank you for our wonderful home here in Montana, where your glory shines forth in the white-capped peaks, the grassy prairies, the clear streams, and the abundant wildlife that roam our lands. Each day, as we experience the signs of your greatness, we are grateful to be Montanans and proud to be Americans. Lord, in the midst of all of our blessings, our citizens find themselves caught up in divisiveness and mistrust. We beg for your guidance and ask that you bestow wisdom and temperance to our leaders to guide us forward in a positive trajectory. We ask this on behalf of all in this very room, and especially for our Montana Republican senatorial candidates. Give these individuals the strength to hear your voice as they continue their journey to serve the common good. Walk alongside them and help them stand tall in the face of the extreme adversity encountered on social media, college campuses, and public platforms. Give them the compassion, determination, and strength to serve Montana and this beautiful country. Furthermore, I pray that you guide those who already govern us, including Senator Tester, Senator Daines, Representative Gianforte, Governor Bullock, and our President Donald Trump. Allow them to discern your truths and the values we hold to be self-evident, which must be protected by your hand, O Lord. Above all, remind us that although our political alignments may differ, you are the one true constant in this life. Help us remember it is you who reign sovereign and supreme over all nations. As the deciding elections swiftly approach, allow us to vote according to what is good and right in the eyes of you, our Lord.
we are one nation under God. In your name we pray. Amen. First, I chose this clip because it's, in the end, bipartisan. She spoke well, and I think she captured the spirit of our democracy in that prayer. Whether it's a prayer, a reading, a short speech, or a song, it's always nice to have something before an event to set the tone, and I think she did that very well. Justin, the president of the Montana State University College Republicans, also did a great job organizing the event. So kudos to Montana students for leading the way so early in our democratic process for this cycle. That's it for this episode of the Montana Middle. Thanks for listening. Outro music for this episode is provided once again by the Lil Smokies out of Missoula. This track off their new album is called The City. Slept in a garage in San Francisco On the same night David Bowie died And all the lights down in the city They were shining a little extra bright Remember, you can find the podcast at www.themontanamiddle.com on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening and tell your friends about it. Take care. Goodbye.